Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Sano, joined, as always, by the samurai to my ninja. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Like a fossil tree from which we gather no flowers, sad has been my life. And I've already owned- no fruit to produce. I did cut you off. I didn't know there's more. Shower oh, I, was a, I was a haiku. You got to wait for all the verses. Come on. My very own Shaolin monk. It's Eric Ronovic. Eric, how are you? Uh, no haikus, uh, but just practicing the way of peace. Yeah. I mean, unless and, I have to show you how strong and invulnerable I am. Exactly. Your abs are so strong, we could punch them a thousand times. And uh, and you never, never give in. You never go, ugh, even. Your liver is in, immortal. Eric, I appreciate your uh, training montages and your carrying of water. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Now, there was actual Seahawks news this week. Uh, Seahawks have the least cap room of any team. Are you worried about that, Eric? Uh, I mean, a little bit. We uh, we still have probably another player that we need to cut. And we probably need to look back at the signing of Drew Locke and say, like, oh, that wasn't the best signing. Uh, I do kind of wonder, like, with us rescinding the offer on uh, Ryan Neal, was Julian Love a great signing or or are they still like happy with that they had to think this was going to happen right it's not something that's up on the team i think julian love is a more flexible player than ryan neal ryan neal does his best work down in the box uh doesn't is a little worse if you have to send him out high whereas julian love uh, can do that a little more also ryan neal we kind of know who he is he's a undersized safety struggles a little bit with tackling but does his job really well right so it the question becomes like, can you find that player somewhere else? And probably you probably can. So uh, although Ryan Neal was great last season, he was the glue that held our, what was like 26th ranked defense together. <laughs> uh, it was still a terrible defense. So you can, you can rank defense, right? You, so you can be like, Ryan Neal was one of our best players last year. Yep. And we got to do better than that. <laughs> like if Ryan Neal was our best player last week, we were t- and last year and we were terrible, then we're, we're, we're still in trouble and we need to find, better players so also yeah. as we'll talk about next week box safety is pretty deep in this draft whereas yeah. a guy who can stand the some of the like uh, up high like single high safety stuff is not really very common yeah single high is just becoming harder and harder to find um i, th- I think for for a lot of reasons so yeah we look at that when you look at the seahawks cap there's just not a lot of ways to trim without restructuring okay i mean we could cut noah fant uh and we could you know, that's, and that's a move that we could do, but there's really not a lot of other places to, to, to trim uh, the the fat, so to speak. So, yeah, I think that the Seahawks are going to have to restructure someone, whether it's Jamal or Quandre or Tyler or Deke. I mean, one of these guys towards the top of the cap table is going to be, have to be the dude, but um, I think Tyler and Jamal are most likely because of how difficult to sustain their deals are. And this is the this is the consequences of you know the Gabe Jackson stuff with making Russ happy with that uh, Carlos Dunlap not holding on to him, uh, the Chris Carson, you know we're still paying him two million dollars this year. There's just a, it just adds up. It all adds up to almost eighteen million dollars in dead cap this year. It's just a pretty pretty solid dead cap number. It's, you could put a couple really good football players into eighteen million dollars. Uh, luckily for next year, there's just really none of that. But also there's only like. 25 guys under contract for next year so we'll have a lot of stuff to figure out in a in a different way okay uh anthony richardson pro day we got we got it we completed the 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 quad we four of a kind we now have uh pro day pictures with all the quarterbacks so the rumors continue to swirl seahawks might want to trade up to get their guy the seahawks 
are really looking hard at these quarterbacks. How would you guys feel about a trade up? Kevin, I'll start with you. What, how would you feel about the, uh, the trade up to get one of these quarterbacks? Um, I'm kind of caught because in general, my biggest concern with the roster is that it's thin and trading up involves removing assets, which means that a thin roster isn't able to gain quite as much depth in general. I just don't really like trading up very often. That being said, how often do you get to draft a top flight quarterback talent? And that is the type of player that you do trade up for. So if it's Pete and John, see their guy, they want to trade up. They want to make sure they land their guy. And they think that that's the quarterback of the future. That is the one thing that you do trade up for is, you know, you trade up for a franchise left tackle, a franchise quarterback, or a franchise like uh, double digit sack edge rusher. And since that's what we'd be doing, I can live with that. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because you want to get that quarterback of the future. right? You want to secure a future the position. And while Gino was great last year, he's not young. You know, Gino's not young. He's 33. He probably has like at most three or four peak years left. So we do need to start thinking about the future at the position. And um, I've been scouting. We've been doing this, these these over the top draft podcasts where we watch the we, we get the all 22 from Caddy's Cutups, big shouts. Uh, and we we watch the the tape for, for these players. We've been doing it for like at least five years with the with the with the positional tape and more longer than that with just like YouTube videos and stuff. And I I'll say this is the best quarterback class. This is a very it's very good. It's on the level of that Josh Allen uh, Baker Mayfield class that everyone said was the best one. This one is just as good or better than that one. Doesn't mean that we're going to end up with uh, four legitimate pros, although although we ended up with two in the last one, right? Like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were both fantastic, and then Baker was on his way until his shoulder turned into graham crackers or whatever, whatever it's happened to it. But he's still yeah. start. He's still going to start for an NFL team next year, so it's not like his career is over or anything like that. So yeah, I'm. I'm uh I'm thinking that you know we'll get probably two and a half three starters out of this draft and if we if if we get one of them that would be fantastic to me I would love it um it's there's risk and reward but you you got to take big risks to to win and the best way to win in the NFL is to have a quarterback on a rookie deal we've seen it now time and time again that it's easier to win when you have that rookie deal and it gets harder and harder the farther into the the big contract you get so. Yeah, I don't know. Eric, what about you? You you uh you okay with trading up? Like maybe giving up the twentieth pick plus like a second rounder next year to get to go get our quarterback? My only issue with it is And the and the fifth pick, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, did, yeah I, I didn't I didn't say that, but but I figured that went without saying that it's, going yeah, up absolutely. going up to two or three is gonna require probably so we're pick gonna get 20. the second and fifth round of the pick for the first rounder and the second, do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I. My only concern is we have Gino for two years. We did sign him to that big deal. So, to to think that Gino is, I mean, you can say that Gino is only going to play one of those years, but I still think with with as team friendly of a deal as it is, you still have Gino for two years. So if you draft a quarterback this year, you trade up to get him. He sits for a year. He's amazing next year. It just seems like you're. You're cutting that window short. So do you're I s- go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. You, you're putting yourself in a situation, but do, do you think there's Super Bowl championship upside with the current roster plus one draft? Like, do you think we can win the Super Bowl this year? 
No, but okay. So then I think what we can do with this draft, if we take, if we shore up our running game, if we get, we probably don't need to worry about our intent, an offensive lineman interior early. I think we can probably make a deep playoff run this year. I was looking at it and I was like, wow, we're pretty stacked up. Like, we have a I know, really like, good roster. I know, like, Win Forever says, like, go as far as you can no matter what. Like, try to try to win every game. But it worries me that, like, the ceiling of this team might not quite be Super Bowl. And if we pass on a quarterback this year, we might get caught in, like, a purgatory situation where, where we're stuck kind of in the middle. And I, I, I want – I'd rather they go for the upside. So the question becomes, do they believe in these guys? And I, I don't know. But do you guys know where that – that selfie thing came from. Remember how I said uh, Greg Olson yes. and his slick back hair are right in the middle of every picture? Well, it's he's the one that, that did this. He said it's something they did with the Raiders, and he brought it in uh, uh, with us. So the Raiders Ugh. just weren't smart enough to put it on out on social media so that it could become like a big draft rumor or what? Or does just no one care about the Raiders? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Greg Olson is <laughs> thinking there. And I mean – we saw Derek. They probably ma- Greg Olson probably maximized Derek Carr, so I'm I'm okay with that too. Uh, all right, Bobby Bobby Wagner's contract deals came out five point five million, one point five million in incentives. Uh, seems fine to me. Any any comments on this one? It's a reasonable pay right. for a starting linebacker. Yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's out of bounds. It, it it did eat the rest of our cap, which is tough. But we needed a linebacker that will do the job until Jordan Brooks is ready to play and. I don't think there was a guy available that will do the job better than, than Bobby is there's, you know, sentiment out there, you know, Oh, does he get great coverage depth anymore? No, his coverage depth is not what it used to be. And, and, you know, but he's a sure tackler. He's going to help in the run game, which we desperately need. And I think they're going to blitz him more because the Rams did, and it was really successful. And I could see us kind of being more willing to send Bobby on, on a blitz. And he's always been good at that. Uh, that's always been a, a tool he had in his tool bag, just one he didn't bust out very often. So I could see him, you know, busting out a six sack season or something this year and, and really impacting the game in a different way. Um, even though he can't quite be the coverage monster that he uh, he was earlier in his career. So I'm happy with it. Uh, like I said, we at the end of the day, we if everything works out, we need him for ha- half a season. So it's not uh, we only need him for a season. So if he's terrible, that's fine. It's half a season. And it's one year contract. It's, it's very low risk. We also have uh, a slightly different defense. Like the cover three required him to get a ton of coverage depth. That's like kind of a, that's an age defensive concept that is not run a lot in the NFL right now. And we didn't really run it last year. So the thing that we're worried about is what he was doing in the Ken Norton junior defense, which is not what he's going to be asked to do in this defense. Nope. I think I think it's gonna be uh, we're gonna look at what the Rams did and try to ask him to do something much closer to that, and it should be uh, successful. So pretty pretty excited about it. All right, big topic today: stand up linebackers. These are linebackers who play with their hand out of the dirt. Uh, we lumped them together. So this is some edge players, some uh, some middle linebackers. The problem for us. Uh, as analysts here is that the Seahawks it's very unclear what kind of defense we're going to have next year there are zero players on the roster over 300 pounds which is weird if you're a 3-4 team Uh, (laughs) then there's it's like so then you're like well we're going back to 4-3 but 
like what does Nuosu be, and uh, and Taylor do if we go back to four three? Like I don't know if they're great for three edges, and those were two of our most effective defensive players last year, both coming in with nine and a half sacks. So I are we playing I, three three five base nickel? Are we? Yeah, yeah last year say, last year you could argue we just didn't play defense, so we couldn't even use that as uh, a basis for comparison. So it's hard. It's hard. So we might draft. The, all these guys are on the table, and we've seen the Seahawks do this before. They've drafted uh, kind of edgy play edge players and then played them at 4-3 outside linebacker. Bruce Irvin is a great example of this. So it's not like against grain for us to just like take one of these guys and kind of ask him to play a little bit different position than maybe most people expect. So that's why we're just going to lump all these guys together and just do our best. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. All right, ready. let's start with the guy we talked about. We've talked about a ton. I think this is the guy the Seahawks really want. This is a guy I know, Eric, you probably watched. So I'm going to go to you first. Will Anderson Jr., outside linebacker, edge player from Alabama. Uh, t- defensive player of the year two years ago. Um, last year was also fantastic. Uh, yeah, this guy's, this guy's put up numbers at Alabama. What do, what do you think about uh, Will Anderson Jr.? Well, first he's Alabama, which tells me that he's already uh, – Played on a professional team. Pre-soaked, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you know, when you have to prep something, you soak it first. He's pre-soaked for the NFL. Like, that's that's obviously a, a thing about Alabama players is, you know, the old, oh, the worst NFL team should play Alabama. Uh, Alabama would still lose, but the point is, is that Alabama is NFL light. Uh, honestly, this is the guy that I kind of see us taking if he's available. Uh, with everything going on with Jalen Carter, I don't think that, that yeah there's there i'm sorry there's no way that will anderson jr is going to be available so um <laughs> you're, you're, you're saying he, you're saying he's off the board by the time we pick at five i think he probably goes three or four uh don't maybe even so. two i don't count out the texans i uh, think yeah texans really it's texans and cardinals um i feel like the colts won't be smart enough to do it so i don't know pass rush uh, defensive tackler, meaning that he's a guy who actually wraps and does his job. Um, it feels like a can't miss, can't miss pick as opposed to someone like uh, Aaron Curry, who wasn't good for us. Yeah. So here's the thing about Will Anderson is a lot of people have been like, Hey, Will Anderson, he was worse in 2022 than he was in 2021. And I don't disagree with that just out of hand, but I mean, it's 15 sacks versus 14 sacks. 56 hurries versus 42 like the guy was still and it's on it's on a hunt 200 less snaps the guy He's was still, still awesome That's, yeah well will anderson still put up huge numbers in 2022 even though people act like because it was slightly worse than 2021 uh it oh now he's 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 dog water he's terrible now it's like it doesn't make any sense to me a heisman contender is a defensive line <laughs> two years in a row let's throw this one away yeah my favorite thing is in 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 pro football focuses scouting report which okay they say this okay they say uh it says has oh no 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 they mean that kind of flexibility oh i thought it was okay never mind but anyway uh will anderson's an elite athlete he's fantastic he can really get after the passer uh yeah i don't know he he's good and you get any the thing is is that people are like oh he's small too that's another thing people say oh he's small this guy is so good in the run game i i don't think that that will be a problem at all he's bendy but still very strong in the run game very stout plays big 
even if he's only 253 See, pounds. And I don't think they say he's small, but he's 6'3. He looks medium to me. Like he doesn't look like a monster. He just looks like a guy out there. Which is also yeah. helps with his deception. I think people see base edge as like two seventy five plus and or two seventy plus, and so people are like, "Oh, well, he can't be a base edge. He might have to stand up." And it's like, maybe I'm not even a hundred percent sure about that. I we don't ever. I think in the run game, worst case, he's Cliff, Cliff Averill, where he's like a C minus, but like he so like if they run directly at him. Um, it's hard for him to make the play, but he's not going to get just washed out all the his time. His edge, he's really powerful. His run defense grade was second on PFF, only to Aiden Hutchinson in the since they've been tracking. I don't know. This guy's just good at football. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's also good on the pursuit. Which being good on the pursuit uh-huh. is something that I think the Seahawks need. Hundred uh, percent. Do you have any more platitudes to throw at at uh, Will Anderson, Ke- Kevin? Uh, we could be here all day with platitudes to throw at Will Anderson. Um, he just strikes me as one of those guys where he's going to get like six to eight sacks his first season or two, and then just be like reliably around double digit sacks for the next while. He's TJ Watt. Yeah, right now he his only minus is that he doesn't use very many pass rush moves because he doesn't have to. The thing is, this guy is his attitude, his IQ, his coachability. Those all the, none of those things are in doubt. This is you are if you draft Will Anderson Jr. I'm gonna say, I'm just gonna say it, you're drafting Von Miller, like you're drafting Von Miller Regen. Uh, however you feel about that, and Von Miller was elite from the from jump, and I think Will Anderson will be as well. Uh, just a rare player. Um, I I'm very excited. I'm excited to see him in the NFL, and I hope that he falls to five because I do think deep down in our hearts, deep down in Pete Carroll's heart, if you asked him who he wants, this is the guy. This is the guy he wants to bring in next year. He's a defensive coach. He loves the quarterback. And he's a difference he's maker. A quarterback whisperer. This is the type of pass rusher we haven't yeah, had. This this guy's not Uchenna Nwosu getting 10 workman sacks and like playing a really solid brand of football. This guy is a game wrecker. He break, he breaks the field, tilts the field in his direction in a way that... He's like a Jadavion Clowney playing the 49ers in that one game, just, but every week. Just, one, just that one time. All right. Just that one time, Javion Clowney did. Miles Murphy. Uh, edge from Clemson. These, oh, by the way, these are our first round guys. I don't know if I said it. Uh, these are our first rounders. Uh, Miles Murphy, Kevin, when you hit the scouting report for Miles Murphy, what do you think? Uh, I think that Clemson's coaching staff makes me angry. Um, every time I watch a Clemson defensive player, I'm like, this guy's 2021 tape was better. How, and my, I always go, how, how is this guy so raw? He's played like 2,000 snaps for Clemson. <laughs> that's what, that's yes. what I always think. I always go, how is this guy still not like better at like the little things? He's played a billion snaps. <laughs> yeah, I think he's really athletic. He's got solid length. Um, he's not like an elite bender. Like he doesn't have that like plus ankle flexion, but he um, so he can kind of get like uh, worked out of the play by an offensive tackle, but he uh, is the kind of guy that he can have an inside move. He can work his way back towards the quarterback. He can make sacks. Like he had a lot of splash plays. He just needs the down to down consistency. Eric, what if I told you this guy was on Feldman's freaks list? <laughs> Feldman Would freaks you... is a, is a list of um... Feldman's freaks. Number three, dude, he was well, that, Nothing says raw like being on Feldman's Freaks. He bench pressed 405, power clean 335, deadlifted 505, vertical 35, broad jump 10 feet. He and, he, and Feldman said he ran in the high four fives, and he did run at 457 at the combine. So 
Yeah, you and this Kevin guy, will know more about this guy than me. Feldman, like, F- Feldman's freaks. You know I love it. <laughs> I, I like what Kevin was saying about him, but, it, it, but echoing what Kevin said and also a lot of the guys we talked about last week, some of these guys only have one move or just kind yeah. of go in well, with the, the best guy has. This guy has a move, dude. It's and it's an NFL level move. The spin move, his spin move is uh, lethal. He is will the spin he, move going to be enough? Can you get more moves? Because the one move guys in the NFL pan out similar to LJ Collier, and that's what I'm super scared about. Well, this move is better than LJ it's Collier. Johnny LJ Collier's bullish. All right, let's go to our last first rounder. You guys ready? Uh, Nolan Smith, uh, edge slash linebacker out of. Georgia. First, I'm going to ask you this, Kevin. Uh, do you think that Nolan Smith is an edge in the NFL? I think that's probably. Uh, I don't know. That that's why he's. I don't want him in the first round. I think he probably is an edge. I think that he's more like a Bruce Irvin edge. He's such an elite athlete, but he's small. He, I don't know. He's just and it against the run than he is against the pass which makes it weird that he's small because and he's, like i act as a linebacker he can set the edge really well he's actually pretty bendy too like he actually can really turn the corner and get around a dude which is i which makes it weird that he doesn't have more pass rush stats uh 19 pressures like two sacks like that's just it's just weird to me it's like why wasn't nolan smith better is something I'm constantly Overall, thinking Overall, he just wasn't productive, which is weird. Because, again, elite-level athlete, high-level recruit, yeah. just his productivity is kind of nowhere. 99th percentile 40, 99th percentile vertical, 96th percentile broad jump. Uh, he's long, too, 93rd percentile wingspan. Like, this guy's long and big, and I just really feel like should have been more productive in college. And it, it's what worries me about him. He's going to have to come into the NFL and, and learn slash find a position. And that's always difficult. That's a difficult situation to be in. I would not if well, and we're gonna talk about some second round guys that I think have uh higher odds of panning out and pretty similar upside that are gonna go a little bit later just because they're not the same athletic freak. Closer closer to uh yeah, I was gonna say closer to finished products for sure. All right, let's get into our second rounders. Uh, we'll start with a couple guys who probably will go close to the end of the first round. Because this edge class is not crazy deep, uh, it's it's interesting. It's kind of top heavy. So uh, that's we'll start with Will McDonald. Four, you know, I love a good uh, player, a numbered numbered player. Uh, Will McDonald, four out of Iowa State. Kevin, uh, he's a fifth year senior. He feels like he's been around forever. Uh, I I just wish he was more. Well, that's because there were three of him before. So like. It's, you've been here that okay. for a long so, time. So, <laughs> Will McDonald the fourth. Here's my <laughs> review. Okay, is that I don't know if he totally understands his responsibilities on a football field because he often seems like he abandons them at the first sign of of, of trouble, uh, or just gets past guys. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. And I think the Seahawks are in a situation where we just we need guys badly who are just doing their job, especially in these middle round picks. I mean, Eric, do you feel like we're just kind of, it feels like we're just kind of desperate for guys that are going to like, just, you know, stuff the run, do their job. Uh, and I don't sure Will McDonald is going to be that guy. Like, is he going to do his, he weirdly is just out of position all the time. And um, well, here's can, the thing. It's... You can completely erase him from the game plan too. Other teams well, did it a lot. On that, uh, 
uh, Iowa State defense. And so, yeah, I think there was a lot of like, hey, we'll go out there and do stuff. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. That's just not a good <laughs> Similar to Nolan Smith, though. It's a guy that, and maybe this is perfect for the Seahawks, because there's like no mass on our team. These are guys with no mass, and that kind of gets me a little concerned because one way to tackle, if you if you have trouble tackling, is you can't be moved. So if anything, you can slow someone down. But if you're if you have no mass and you're not great at tackling, then you're just going to be a guy who is a speed bump on the way to the other guy's touchdown. The only thing is he was being played out of position because he played like a down four three lineman way too much for being like two hundred and thirty five pounds. So I could see him developing pretty quickly as a three, four outside linebacker. Um, just has to make sure he game. doesn't get washed out of the play. Like he's so many times he just over pursues or goes way past the play. And it's like, okay, cool, man. You, you beat your guy, but you did nothing on this play because you're just way out of position to make a play on the ball. You forced him back inside in a 15 yard window. Good, yeah. good job by you. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> BJ Ojolari. Wow. It's an Aziz Ojolari region. I mean, I, I watched him and I was like, this is the same guy that I watched. What was it like three years ago? And I didn't want to just say Aziz Ojolari. So I comped him to Harold Landry, who's basically Aziz Ojolari. So, I mean, you know. Aziz, thing <laughs> Aziz Ojolari is he has really struggled to stand up in the NFL because he had no power game. And mm-hmm. I've BJ Ojolari is going to have the exact same problems. Like mm-hmm. he has to be in space to do anything, anything. I mean, it, literally anything so i i worry but if he's in space he does all the things oh yeah he's great because like backside pursuit or if you have like an outside stretch run play and he has to run to the sideline to make a tackle or if he can line up in like wide nine and rush the quarterback or something does all the things but like he has no phone booth power at all yeah uh Derek hall situational pass rusher Derek hall my son you like him my special boy. Okay. My lovely, lovely child. He, huge. May I introduce you huge arms. to Derek Hall, who I'm so proud of. Huge arms. Great build. Best first step in the whole class. Uh, maybe not Will Anderson, but second best step in the, first, in the whole class. Best first step outside of the top five in the whole draft. But man, uh, he needs to learn how to like set up his moves and stuff. He needs the Cliff Averill school of pass rush moves very badly to me. But oh my gosh, the first step is... I mean, and it's real. The thing is, is that you watch his another thing too. You watch the 2021 tape and the 2022 tape. It's the same guy. You're like, he is not Auburn is not developing this player. It's the Clemson problem. Yeah. And Auburn's coaching staff sucked. So that doesn't surprise anybody. It's Um, it's tough. Yeah. I think he's, he's a great chase down player. He plays well in space. He could do like coverage stuff. I'd love to get this guy Um, to end around too, by the way. Oh man. If we got him at 51, I would be absolutely thrilled. I just, I think he just knows how to play football. He's just a really good football player. He has, his missed tackles are a little high, but I think it's because he was trying to compensate for the entire defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like when you have a center fielder who ends up missing uh, like fly balls, but it's because he's trying to catch it in like left field because you're playing a DH out there. Like I just, I, he, he was able to set the edge against the run he was able to chase down for the backside. He was able to do shallow coverage. He was able to r- to rush the passer. I really like him. I just drank. He's my favorite. He's I gotta favorite I gotta player. go off topic here. I just drank from a water that was on my desk, and after I drank nope, it, I, I was like, I don't know if, how long that's been sitting there. And now, <laughs> now I'm gonna be now I'm gonna be thinking about it for the rest of the. Podcast. Did you taste the dust? Did you taste? The I was dust? like, I, I definitely like my tongue feels 
weird after I take it, but I'm really thirsty, so I had to do it now. And now I'm probably gonna, Man. I'm probably gonna have to take another drink from it too <laughs> before the podcast is over. You've over, yeah, much like Will McDonald, you have overcommitted <laughs> and outran your uh, your aquatic your coverage. Flower water. <laughs> I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna. So, I'm gonna get the cordyceps from, from the Last of Us now. <laughs> I think next we have the actual linebackers. Yes, these are these are actually like these are middle line guys who are more likely to play middle linebacker than edge. Uh, we'll start with the guy with the highest upside, in my opinion. That's Drew Sanders. Now, here's the thing about Drew Sanders is uh, he's ex edge and he pass rushes like an edge. So maybe his best position is actually edge. I have no idea. Well, Drew Sanders is, is hard to watch. Drew Sanders is as appealing of an edge rusher as Will McDonald. And that's, I don't know how to rectify this information. I don't know what to do with him. He's like, he had 22 missed tackles last year and they're all over the tape. You, you can't get, you can't get through a game of, of Drew Sanders without seeing a missed tackle, but he's, he's good and he's dynamic. Like what an ad. And there's no reason he has to miss them. Like no, he could no. absolutely have made all those tackles. Yeah, yeah. If, His just tackle technique sucked. Yeah, if we had full contact practices still, I'd say get Drew Sanders at all costs. But it does seem like something that the Seahawks have not been able to do lately as well as they used to, which is develop guys who can't tackle into guys who can. He reminds me of ex-Seahawk Julian Peterson, where he's inconsistent, but he can make every single play. And he'll make like a lot of splash wow plays. And then he'll just like miss a running back in the hole and let them go for a ton of yards. You're like, oh. Crap. Yeah. Man, so is he like the second coming of Ben Burkirvan? No, he's uh, no, no, he's way bigger. He has than NFL that. size. He he can play NFL size. The thing is, oh, is okay. right now he's I just saw one picture where I'm like, okay, he he is a bigger dude. Right now he's, no, he's the physical opposite of Ben Burkirvan, who is too small but a tackling yeah, machine. This guy's six This guy's too big but needs a tackling machine. He's six four awesome. and he's from Texas, so you know he could be a big boy. The thing is, is right <laughs> now he's middle linebacker sized and he needs to gain weight if he's gonna be an edge. So the question becomes like what position does he play? Kind of reminds me of who's the guy that ended up on the Saints uh that got drafted in the first, second round, and then uh, I wanted to say Josh Uchi, but it's the other guy. No, it's the guy from Wisconsin. Uh yeah. But Oh, I can't remember the name. Wisconsin LB, uh, New Orleans Saints. That the guy that you like. This is the great. Oh, it's Zach Bond. It reminds me of Zach Bond, where it's like you don't know what position exactly he's going to play. He's a little slight. He played middle linebacker and outside linebacker. He's and Zach Bond completely washed out. I do think Drew Sanders is better than that, so maybe there's more of a chance. But it's that level of like this guy could be literally nothing <laughs> if 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 it does not work out, which is. Always a little worrying when you're when you're when you're looking at a guy with a second round pick. You really want those guys to pan out, especially in the position the Seahawks are in, where they're going to play as rookies most likely. All right, let's go to another linebacker. This one is Iowa Hawkeyes, Jack Campbell. What's your Jack Campbell? He's large. Yeah, big human. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, physically large human, six five, like two fifty. Uh, Kind of T Rex arms, but not like too terrible. He will let um, he will let the running back get three yards and make just just to make sure he makes the play. It drives me crazy. I'm like I'm like get downhill on that guy, go get that guy, and he's like, nah, I'll just wait in the hole. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let him get three yards. <laughs> it's like that weird like tape delay on his diagnosing almost feels like it's what Iowa coached him to do because it's so consistent. And he, he's like incredibly. It's like a keep doing baseball analogies it's like edgar martinez taking the first pitch he's like he's it's, like good. Well, he's like why are you doing that he's like really like, good stop. in coverage i think his coverage is underrated uh like he got he played zone coverage a lot and was pretty effective 
I thought his arms were longer because of how often he finds himself in passing windows. Yeah, he's just, I think he's like a pretty solid football player. Uh, he kind of reminds me of KJ Wright in coverage. He looked slow on the tape, but then he tested out the building, which makes me think it's Iowa's fault, like Kevin said. <laughs> like Kevin said. Uh, this, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I, I would love I feel like he's just going to be really consistent. Just don't expect him to be sideline to sideline. Yeah. If you need someone to make a play between the numbers, he'll do it. If you need someone who's sideline to sideline range, that's not his game. Could be a really great pairing for Jordan Brooks, to be honest with you. Like, let Jordan just cut loose and go go everywhere and then you know here's our here's our guy in the middle who just cleans up the plays that's I'm, yeah campbell just needs to get better at shedding offensive linemen if he's going to be like that dude but i feel like he has all the skills and like short area quickness to do it all right um i've been hurt too many times by clemson off ball players kevin so go ahead you go first on trenton simpson okay so trenton simpson my comp is isaiah simmons which is why nathan has a sad face um he looks like a supersized box safety. He moves like a supersized box safety. He is linebacker sized in that he's like, he has over 32 inch arms. He came in over 230 pounds, but he probably played a little lighter than that. Um, he has a really good motor. He can make a lot of tackles. Um, he needs to work on his tackling form a little bit. Uh, like when he comes in and he has to make the tackle in space, he has a tendency to kind of, uh, go low and like slow a guy down, but not always make the play, which is a little frustrating. But I just feel like he has great coverage skills. He has great versatility and he's a good blitzer. Clemson asks hmm. these, these Swiss army knife box players to just play man defense all the time. And it drives me crazy because he's not going to do that for like any team in the NFL. Like all, like the only team in the NFL that uses like a tight end eraser man coverage guy like that is the Bengals. The Bengals use Trey Flowers in that role where they just have him line up on the tight end all game and kind of take that guy out of the game, mostly because they just want to beat Kansas City, I think, which is fair. Yeah. That's that that is the villain of their their Super Bowl hopes. So yes, that is a, a good idea. But I just don't know where he fits on most teams, and I don't think he's going to be good in zone coverage for a couple years if he plays. Um, he has n- two career pass breakups, which is crazy for how athletic this guy is. Like that is an absurdly low number to me. And I-, I do think he's a developmental inside linebacker. If we have to play him while we're waiting for Brooks to come back, Problem. it's going to be a little painful. It's going to be uh, boom bust. Yeah, I, I, but I, I'm not. I... I'm not a huge fan. I'm just going to be be honest. It's just like I I I've seen it before, and I'm not. I'm not feeling it. All right. Um, here's a guy I am a huge fan of. He's a little on the older side. And he is small, but um, he broke out huge this year for Washington State University. It's Diane Henley. Um, yeah, he he's a good athlete. And w- one thing too is that he used to be a wide receiver, and you can see that like wide receiver, uh, wide receiver fluidity in the way that he moves on a football field. He also used to be a quarterback. Really? Yes, that's so. He cool. went from quarterback to wide receiver to linebacker specifically blitzing linebacker and he's which is he's a really that's a, good that's a, that's a progression and for me Can we move him to kicker he's a really good tackler this is try this is something that really stood out to me about Diane henley all year um i this is the team that i watched the most of their games in college and he is just he is an excellent tackler uh to the point that's why i like him so much i have him at the end of round two and i would be completely fine with us taking him in round two over Simpson, over other guys, just a, a really good uh, tackler. He is on the small side, which is the the scary part, I think, for a lot of 
scouts. For me, if we took him at 51, I would understand it. I would be way more comfortable taking him at, I think we have like 82 or whatever. Yeah. I think I would much rather see him there. Uh, 51 feels a little rich for somebody who I just don't know if his size and diagnosis combination works in the NFL. All right. If you want a long rangey coverage linebacker, Tamarian uh, Overshone. Yes, not a great tackler. Yes, you can knock him over. But in coverage, this guy is, uh, I think, maybe the best in this class for coverage linebacker. So how do you? He's a box safety. How do you how do you square that circle exactly? Like how do you how do you square circles? Like this guy is a great coverage linebacker, but like it's serious. It's a serious problem how much he how easy he is to knock over and how easy he is to kind of to to bump out of the play. Yeah, uh, he cannot shed offensive lineman at all so if the offensive lineman gets to the second level he's just washed like that's guaranteed if they have a plus blocking tight end he's washed if um he takes the wrong angle of pursuit he's out of the play because he's not like super fast safety guy um but he is good in coverage like if you but but like is is weak side linebacker coverage linebacker a role in our current defense i don't know like i would rather have uh Two guys we haven't talked about and Dion Henley over him because they all have kind of the same skill set. I think Dorian Williams, Dion Henley, Ivan Pace Jr., DeMarvion Overshone, and Trenton Simpson all kind of fill the same role of like box safety linebacker hybrid. And Overshone's the one I like the least just because I feel like his flaws are the ones that are least fixable. Yeah, I just he's gonna be really good in coverage. So if, if you need a guy to do that job specifically, I guess that's that's where you can look. Um I think he's third rounder later for sure though. Uh Isaiah Foskey. Man, this is a tough one. It's a tough one, right? If you can't bend, how good of a pass rusher are you? Because he does all of the not bending stuff. And also he this guy, if he when he beat when he does actually beat his guy, he gets the sack. Like yes, this guy every time he's he, opposite of uh, uh, opposite of Murphy. Incredibly smart. Murphy sometimes doesn't finish. This guy always finishes. You can see why Foskey was the captain for for Notre Dame's defense because he knows what to do and does his freaking job. Like this guy, he's in the right spots. He he finishes the play. He's always he his run contain where he puts his body, but he just doesn't. This have, is Brett's favorite player in the draft because he always finishes what's on his plate. He. He doesn't have that elite <laughs> Ben and his athletic testing is good, but it's just, he gets too high. He doesn't have the ankle flexibility or whatever. Like he can needs to get teach bending or is that something yoga can take care of? It feels you like, can, so, it feels like something you have or you don't. It, it feels like something you have you can, or you don't you can, a little bit. You can improve it incrementally. So like a guy who has no bend can have a little bend. A guy who has a little bend can have like adequate bend. But, like, you can never take a guy from, like, below average. No one's going to go from a C- minus to an A because it's just, like, you know, like, like if you have tight hamstrings, you can loosen them up for you, but you can't, like, become gummy. Yeah. Like, it's just not going to happen. And the other thing is, I feel like, did you watch a lot of his pass rush reps? Did you have the same feeling that what was killing mediocre college tackles was not going to work against a lot of NFL tackles. Yeah, I just don't I don't think he has the the stuff. I don't think he has the juice to be an NFL level pass rusher. It's kind of depressing. I feel like if he had 35 inch arms, he could play the same game he does in college, but he has 34 inch arms and so like longer tackles are going to like neutralize a lot of his Here's like he needs to learn how to rush half a man. Here's Isaiah Foskey's career arc. You ready? He gets drafted in the 3rd round of the NFL draft. He sticks on rosters for like 8 years, never 
really plays that much and then retires happy without taking a bunch of brain damage. I'm happy for him already. I'm already So he's Rasheem Green. Put that in sure, five yeah. years. He barely he barely plays. He get he vests that he vests that uh, pension. <laughs> Kevin, how he, are you gonna screw up Isaiah Foskey's name that much? Come on. He makes <laughs> he makes ten million dollars. <laughs> like he just has a great life ahead of him and he never really has to but I mean he's a good enough athlete and he's so good at at like being in the right spot. Um, and he could play the run game well enough as a stand-up edge in a three-four sure. that he ends up being like a two-down rotational edge player sure. plays, who gets like three or four sacks a year. Plays only like, first that's downs. A weird player, but that's a thing. Plays only first downs uh, in your rotation. <laughs> it's like the uh, he's like the anti-special pass rush specialist. Okay, uh, let's go the opposite direction, Kevin. Let's go for a guy who has a great pass rushing feel, great moves, but uh, like I don't know what to think about uh, Andre Andre Carter too. Uh, this guy just needs. Do you like tall players? Yeah, he's so tall, and he gets high too. That's that's the biggest problem is he doesn't stay low enough. He's flexible, but he just doesn't stay low in his pass rush. Yeah, uh, his pad level's a problem. Army Army Black Knights, uh, Andre Carter. He got double teamed all the time. I know, I feel like I barely watched snaps where he wasn't double teamed, which is a problem for Army. Like, yeah. They're not. Uh, they're... I mean, Army's just not going to have elite guys like that. Like, I, so <laughs> watching his tape, he reminds me of Max Crosby. I think a lot of people have said that, but like Dollar General Max Crosby, because he doesn't have the same bend. He's bent. Um, he can bend like though. Andre Carter. I don't think he can. I think he can rush from a wide alignment and take a good angle towards the quarterback. I he's don't so think high. if he gets pushed around the corner by the tackle that he can bend back to the quarterback. He's, he's, well. a, he's so high is the part of the problem. It's hard to it's hard to he needs to get low. Uh, and he just doesn't. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what he does. Like, he could be a complete nothing in the NFL. It wouldn't surprise me. You want to you want to get low, Kevin, with our next player guy who can get I'm low down. pretty good. Nick Herbig. Uh, the, uh, start out low, stay low. Yeah, exactly. This guy gets. This guy gets. Uh, is Nick Herbig a linebacker or an edge rusher? That is the question the NFL has to answer. Yeah, he played three, four outside linebacker for Wisconsin. Um, he, they only asked him to cover, drop into coverage forty six times. Uh, but he's a, but he was good at it. Yeah, he was good at it, and he's like he's really fluid mover. He's really good at beating blocks in both the run and the pass game. Like this is just, I think, a like a really interesting mid round guy. Who could? He has short arms, but he can like do the job. Like you got to convert him to a new position in the NFL, though. I don't think he's going to be an outside linebacker. Or he's a situational pass rusher and you use him like Chris Clemens. That's true. I mean, he's interesting. He's pretty similar size to Chris Clemens too, coming out. Interesting player. I, I think Urbig's a guy you take in the middle rounds who could really could really end up popping. Um, yeah, he could he could overplay a fourth round grade. Penne Sewell, his little brother Noah Sewell. Um, uh, I like people who do linebacker things good, and so I don't like Noah Sewell. Yeah, I was gonna say this doesn't freak athlete doesn't know how to play the position. Uh, overruns, overruns plays uh, always looks lost in coverage, uh, but like the splash plays are this awesome. Is a ton of tackles. This is this is a guy who, when the highlights were out, this guy was like a second rounder. If you only watch the highlights, first rounder even maybe, and then once you watch the full games, you're like, oh, no, nah, this guy's this guy's gonna go in like round five. <laughs> Yeah, like if if playing spy and downhill linebacker was the whole job, if this was 1997 and everybody had a bell cow running back, Noah Sewell, second, third round pick. This is not 1997. He is not a second or third round pick. All right, quick hits. You ready? Last last few guys. These are third round or later guys. Uh, Ivan Pace Jr. 
Uh, Ivan Pace Jr. is too small to be what he is, which is an incredibly effective blitzer, but I think it could be a really good uh, like situational edge player. And he reminds me of Malcolm Rodriguez. I like him a lot. Uh, Dylan Horton. Uh, Dylan Horton uh, played started as a safety and like became an edge player. He had to play inside the tackle too much. I actually think as an outside edge rusher in a 3-4, he could be really effective. I think he's a guy who could outplay his draft stock. Nick Hampton. Uh, Nick Hampton is Jacob Martin 2.0. Like he's an outside pass rushing guy, comes from a smaller school. Um, he has like good but not elite bend. I think if you just are trying to draft a situational pass rusher that might develop into a little more, he could be a really good guy in the fourth round. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis. O'Shawn Mathis is the opposite. If you want a guy who has all the measurables of an edge player, but like didn't really get to play in a system that benefited that. Um, I think he's a really interesting guy to bring in. He probably starts out as like a special teams and like third down pass rush guy. Owen Papo. Uh, Owen Papo, uh, if health was a skill, then that's what he had to work on. Um, he reminds me of Jatavis Brown, who played for the Chargers for a bit, um, who got injured because he was so small. But like he's a plus special teamers. His athletic testing is nuts. Um, he's really effective for like the 200 snaps you get him. All right. Um Let's go to the money zone. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as dollar twenty-four a month, join in the Discord. Uh, be part of the conversation. I'll be in on Discord a lot tonight because I'm watching WrestleMania and uh, talking to people about it. So if you're watching WrestleMania, uh, come message, message me about it. Tell me what you think. Thanks to our new Patreon, Luke, uh, for coming in. And uh, to all our Patreons, new and old, Emmanuel, Andy, Brett, Cooper, do it all for the Tucci, Evan Flocktimus, Gavin, Greta, James, Joseph, Joshua, Lucas, Rad Dad, Nikki C, Ryan, Timothy, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David, Foles, Jay. L- There's Luke now. Luke, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, and Nick. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead. Um, there's a there's a strong lineage of martial arts movie actors. Uh, we start with like Bruce Lee to, to Jackie Chan to Jet Lee, Chuck Norris, uh, Sammo Hung. You know, the the classics, Tony. Then we had Tony Jaw, Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you ask me who the current holder of the uh, martial arts movie star throne is, I might say Donnie Yen. But but if I ask me, you know, you got to go younger. Donnie Yen is like you've been watching Donnie Yen for 20 years, Nathan. He's getting a little old. You got to go with someone who's a little younger, not 59 year old Donnie Yen. Fair, fair. 59 is pretty old. So I would say who's next? And I think I would say Scott Adkins. <laughs> and so what, last week I was looking at the cast list for John Wick 4 for a movie club. And I was like, who's in John Wick 4? You know, I've heard this. Is, Donnie Yen's in the movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, we could do Donnie Yen movie club. That'd be cool. And I lo- looked farther down the list. I was like, oh, Lance Reddick's in here. He just passed. That's pretty cool. And I went, oh, Scott Adkins is in this movie? And Kevin's like, Scott Adkins? Who's Scott Adkins? I was like, Scott Adkins is sweet, dude. He's like <laughs> – like I just pitched it, the the next guy in the lineage of like 80s or martial arts action stars. And so I looked up a picture and I'm like, oh, he's that guy. I've yeah. seen him in a bunch of things and didn't right. realize he's, that he had a name. He's in like one minute of Doctor Strange. <laughs> he's 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 in. Uh, when you look at his, he frequently shows up as bodyguard of Blaine. Yeah, he, or he's in like the Expendables. Assassin. The Expendables two for like five minutes. He's in Zero Dark Thirty for like five. Other minutes. movies he's been he's in. in always Man shows Doctor Four. Strange. Oh, he's in. He plays a racist in Man Four. Yeah, he's in Born Ultimatum for like five minutes. Like he's in a bunch of movies yeah. for like five minutes because he's sweet. But he's also has a bunch of movies that he starred in. So I was like, let's pick 
let's pick a Scott Adkins movie for this. So I just went with uh, Ninja, Ninja Shadow of a Tear because one, what a name, right, Eric? What a name for a movie. Ninja Shadow well, of a Tear. Ninja 2. Remember, this is number two. Ninja 2. But 2 isn't in the title. If it's on every poster, though. It is a subtitled, non-numbered sequel, and that's important. Yeah, well, because the, the movie has nothing to do with the say, other Kevin, movie. Kevin, could that be because it has nothing to do with Ninja 1? No, that is not true, because the entire story of Ninja 1 is him and... Uh, what is what's the okay. what's his wife's name? It doesn't matter. Uh, Namika. That's how him and Namika end up together. Okay, but do you, so, do you really need to see that, like, to understand the second movie? Okay, <laughs> I'm, gonna handle, I'm gonna handle those as two separate questions. The first question is, do you really need to see that? And the answer is yes. I thought Ninja was Ninja was worse is, than Ninja. To two, understand the second movie, and the answer is no. Ninja Two is better. But that's, yes, you that's do the need most to see important it. part, Kevin. <laughs> Ninja Two is better. If you're only going to watch one, watch Ninja Two. If you can watch Look, two, but you're not only going to watch one because well, they like potato chips. Nathan's <laughs> like, we should watch Ninja Shadow of a Tear, and I was like, wait, you mean we need to prep ourselves for the Scott Atkins extended universe by watching all of his movies? I mean, they're... and then he's like, no, you don't have to. I'm like, you have no idea what kind of week I'm having at work. I'm watching all of his. Yeah, movies. Kevin's like, I, so Kevin's like, I just watched. Later, I just watched I Hard Super Fan Number Two. He's like, I just watched Hard Target Two. <laughs> 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 the direct to video sequel. I I just I just watched uh what was the one with uh with with uh, Wade Barrett in it? Eliminators. Oh that movie's with Wade Barra. That movie's actually sweet. It might be the best movie is really solid. Dude, that movie might be the uh, best WWE ex- movie. If I'm going to uh recommend besides Ninja Two, which I do give full recommendation to, um the the two uh Scott Acton's extended universe movies I think you should check out are Accident Man, okay. which is really sweet, and has a bunch of stuff people in it, and the Deck Collector. Okay, let's nice. where he plays a British guy okay. named French. Let's get back let's to Ninja. Jump in. Let's jump into why this movie's so great. <laughs> okay, um, so enjoyable plot plot summary. Uh, th- I'm going to spoil everything, but it won't matter because that's not what's cool about the movie. No. Um, so the movie starts out with uh, with K- uh, Casey. He settled down from the first movie. Eric, uh, Kevin. He settled down. Yep. He's opened a Koga Ninja Dojo See, with connection. his with no, his he, wife. No, he took over for his sensei. Right. With he his was murdered in the first movie with his wife. Um, one day he goes. One day he goes shopping in town. He wants to buy a happiness pendant for his wife. Some uh, some street thugs see that he's buying a pendant and that he has a lot of money. They're like, "Oh, let's beat this guy Jin up." Uh, oh, th- this movie is set in Japan slash Myanmar, formerly Burma, which it says that yes. every time. Every time it puts up the thing. Uh, so yeah, the, they go um, and uh, yeah. Oh, and there's also set in Thailand. There's they did they did three different unique uh, shooting locations uh, for some reason. All uh, very affordable. But I think the Thailand shooting location. Oh yeah, because the that's where the that's where his uh, friends, friends dojo, dojo is. is. Yeah. So anyway, he uh, he goes. She's pregnant. They're like they do like some cheesy like oh I love you so much stuff. Uh, and then she wakes up in the middle of the night. And she's like yo I need chocolate and seaweed. I'm having a pregnancy craving. And he's like ah I'll get it. But earlier in the day he gave those thugs his wallet. So uh, he he goes down Before to buy he it. Beat them the hell up. Oh yeah, he beat them up and but, I like how he let, beat them up and then let them keep the wallet. That was a yes. That's uh, a good guy thing guy. that I think should go away. Like certainly a choice. Uh, allow me to interject one more time. This is the first fifteen minutes of this movie oh, yeah. that he's describing. Five. Like, it took 
five minutes to get to the first fight. Five scene, minutes is the first fight scene. Minutes to his wife dying. I already. I will say this. I pause the movie when <laughs> a movie like this, whenever the first fight scene starts, to see how long it took. And yeah, this movie's like mm-hmm. blazing fast. Five minutes to the first like serious fight scene, and like you A-plus. said, fifteen minutes to like the primary <laughs> plot device, which is that uh, when he's buying the chocolate and seaweed, he's only downstairs for like ten minutes, but his wife gets mur- brutally murdered by by a villain who uses a barbed wire yeah, this chain. Is, this is this is the most important thing because what is every martial art hero weakness? It's something on a long chain, sometimes retractable, sometimes gains length, but usually has razor blades or some sort of sharp device on it to wrap around swords, to wrap around necks, to wrap around limbs. And yeah, this is a this is a killer who so, just it looks like he might just choke him for a second and they're dead. So the bad ninjas, the bad or sorry, these bad guys. So he blames, of course, the thugs. You know, they had his wallet, they had his address from the ID. Like they're they're the ones who killed my wife. So he goes and he knows they used a secret move, the triple kick, which comes up a bunch of times in this movie. All the bad guys use this triple kick technique, and it always it always hurts scott scott adkins scott yeah. scott adkins is like uh he's he, this is his like one weakness his kryptonite, his kryptonite <laughs> is this triple kick uh but he imagine so the he goes, kang kick from mortal Kombat if it looked cool and real and worked so he, he finds yeah, out he finds it. out where the triple kick dojo is he goes there he beats everyone up apparently that was one shot by the way they did that in one 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 take that whole scene nice yeah and that's, then, a, that's a good fight scene yeah it was pretty sweet by the way again we're still only 25 minutes in this movie we've had three fight scenes and a wife get murdered so he goes he goes to um he finds out where the muggers are gonna be he goes to a restaurant they're eating at uh, he stands up menacingly outside the window when he, oh, well he gives them the gives pendant, them the pendant. <laughs> gives them the pendant that they wanted to steal uh the happiness pendant they go out there with uh, guns this time last time they had knives this time they have guns uh or one has a gun and one has a knife. I can't. Remember. Yeah, I think it's one, one has of the, a gun. One, one of the few times yeah. you'll see in this movie where, oh, there's a gun. Yeah, and so he fights them. Uh, he chops a guy's hand off. <laughs> yeah, and, and, then, and then they fight, and then we get our first super sweet Scott Adkins one-liner. He has his the knife to the guy's throat, and he asks the guy, "Are you ready to die?" And the guy says, "No," no. and he goes. Neither was she. <laughs> just <splits his> th- <laughs> I just started laughing, dude. I was when like- it shows it, I was like, it looks like he kind of stabs him in the neck, and the blood evaporates from the man's body. Uh, it's a secret ninja technique, Eric. It is out. Um, the, the other thing about it is, this is the same guy he already chopped the guy's hand off. Oh yeah, this dude had the worst day. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but, you know, at least he, he got have to, any worse he, days after that. He got to think that oh, only bad thing that happened to me was my hand got chopped off. Until then, so <laughs> at the funeral, his old sensei comes in. His old sensei comes in and says, uh, "Hey, you should come to Thailand and train with me to release the grief. You know, let the grief go." Uh, and so Scott initially said. Or actually, he asked him this before he killed the guys. Scott said he had unfinished business. Actually, his name's Casey in the movie. Maybe I should call him Casey. Casey. I was about to say. Uh, I'm calling Scott times spending. Do they, say, do they call him Casey, though? Oh, oh too uh, many. A few. Too many. <laughs> I think it's 100 times. So anyway, he says he has unfinished business. He kills those guys. Then he decides, you know what? I am going to go to Thailand to release my grief or whatever. Uh, they do some light sparring. He uh, 
gets punched in the face and then he snaps. PTSD. He gets in the face and then snaps. And then this is the first time in the movie we see like a million flashbacks of his wife for some reason. Yes. Eric, what do you think motion. of what do you think of those 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 wife flashbacks that they did? I got to be honest. If you're looking for plot in these movies, you're looking for the wrong movies. But they did a great job, all of Steven Seagal's Mark for Death, of occasionally sprinkling in uh, different filtered to show memories at different <laughs> speeds with echoey sounds of the beautiful wife twirling her hair. Going like, the worst one was the last one where she was in the water and he dropped the necklace oh, on her. <laughs> It just like you know what my favorite part is. It looks so weird. They had an entire movie of footage of the two of them together from the first movie. They used none of it. That's... It was all either <laughs> shots from the first five minutes of this uh... movie or new shots of things that didn't happen in either movie. Hey, can you twirl just around real that they quick? Had a full together. We're just so, gonna twirl it. That's perfect. We'll use that. Uh, hey guys, real, hold on, Nathan. With her. This is really important because during these flashbacks, he doesn't totally cry. There's just no. he always he a always shadow gets, of a tear. He always gets mad. Whoa! He always gets mad too. Whenever he does these these uh these these flashbacks, his fighting ability just goes through the roof. Like he's yes. able oh, yeah. to perform just superhuman. Uh, oh. Okay, but so is he anyway, a Super Saiyan? He does a flashback scene and powers up. Possibly. So anyway, the his sensei, uh, Takeda, to or no, 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 sorry, sorry. What's his What's his uh, sensei's name? This This new. I don't know. Uh, it's, oh, don't make matter. me look this up. Uh, it's well, Kane. It's Kane. Sensei. Kane it's it's sensei. Kane Kasugi. Kane, sensei Kane yes. Kasugi uh, says <laughs> it's not says a, uh, something. You got to walk on fire to learn how to control your your uh, Nakabara. Your to control oh, your emotions. Right. Yeah. So he tries to walk on fire, but Scott can't control his emotions. More flashbacks. And then, he goes, then we have this fight scene where he goes to the bar and gets drunk. Wait, I want to set this up. We have all these flashback scenes, and you think that it's like this long developed. No, no, no. Fight scene where he loses it in the sparring competition. A total of maybe five minutes elapses. Giant bar fight scene. Yeah, and I really it, want to establish no violent scenes are more than eight to ten minutes apart in this movie. No yeah. dragging. They knew what they were doing and they beat that drum the, the whole he beats, run time. He beat. He just so some guy bumps into him at the bar and and of course Casey snaps. He's had too much. He has a, another no, flashback. He has a polite comment. He tells him he could use some manners. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the guy gets. Then mad. the guy decides to double down. Yeah, that's true. The guy snaps, and then of course Casey just ends up beating him, all his friends, and every dude in this entire bar. Uh, just beats and the then hell stumbles out of off, kind of drunk. Yeah, and then he drunkenly walks away. This is not the. This is not the only time he'll have a drug induced fight scene. Uh, this that, movie. Was, that one was my favorite the second one so uh, anyway uh nakabara or he goes back to, and uh, kane kasugi's like hey you know i think i know who did this it was um this guy who told my dad so the movie opens with this like 1942 flashback of like ninjas in world war ii or something and but it's done like an army instructional video correct <laughs> and then <laughs> which is like really weird it's great and he says this guy goro swore revenge on these ninjas from world war ii he was a little kid and now he's all grown up and it's wait you you went past the part where his apprentice gets murdered oh no that's the next same barbed wire weapon i think that's next isn't i thought it? that happened before king oh no i think because that's what triggers king Kazuki telling him about where the barbed wire wounds come from. Anyway, uh, Goro is played by Boss Benta from Kill Bill. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then uh, and then we get we get to so 
Of course, Casey's got to go to Myanmar now to find this drug dealer uh, and kill him because he's, Formerly Burma. he's yeah, he killed the he killed the student. He killed the, his wife. He uses the chain that what's it? What is a barbed wire fence chain, Eric? Is that right? Yeah. It, no, it's like a ninja weapon. It's like a whip, but it's it's got little barbs on it. <laughs> barbed wire. It's a it. it's a it's a um it's a whip dagger, but instead of having uh exactly like a blade that. on the end of it, the uh chain is basically barbed towards both ends with the weight on the one side. Yes. So when you go to throw the chain and it wraps around, instead of there being like a single blade, it's like barbed. Okay, wire. it says it is a barbed wire manriki. <laughs> I looked it up. Okay, so anyway, he goes to uh, he goes to Myanmar. He's trying to find this drug ruler. He does drugs to try to find him and then fights people while he's high on meth. Uh, it's it's yep. very good. It's a it's a pipe made out of a light bulb. It's, yeah. it's yeah, it better is. than the apple pipe that you see in American weed movies. This one is he uh, he did try and resist the drugs, but he, he get, you know, had to keep in character. He gets reje- that, he, get, he gets he gets a, arrested. They by use an Ty, Ty Lando taxi driver. Oh, yeah, looks like Ty ta- Lando, by the way. Ta- ta- terrible taxi driver, <laughs> comedy relief character who betrays him to the police, but Scott uh, Scott Atkins just decides to let it go. Because uh, <laughs> he's so pathetic. Because he is so pathetic. And then, um, yeah, we fight. We have a fight in the police station. We have a fight in uh, in his room. The hotel. The hotel. We're trying yep. to get arrested by the police. We have the fight against the drug dealers. And then now we go to Goro's castle and we have our goro's uh fort or whatever you want to call Compound. it um on the way there he's been told by his sensei that there will be a mass grave of ninjas that he'll be able to find ninja weapons <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, he, which he does he finds a whole I did, I ninja suit i was not expecting that because yeah he he finds weapons he gets re- how are you not expecting it it was the most expectable part he gets <laughs> well he gets stoked on anytime he sees like Oh yeah, he made his own ninja weapons earlier in the movie. Yeah, you're right, they're not like daggers; they're like just like little Out of, like, projectiles. <laughs> and when he sees those, he's like, "Yeah," which he only uses once. They're just like little flail, little throwing devices. Yeah, he makes. Can... Oh, what, what about if he makes that like acid acid uh, powder trap thing, and he well, throws I mean, it in the guy's yes, face? That is every ninja movie ever. If you're not using something with a, did you see when they? Did you see they when they an M16 against ninja weapons? Did you see when that guy? Uh, that guy they showed him close up again, and he had that, like all the burns all over his face. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so gotta, bad. This 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 closes every plot hole. It's the best movie. Uh, I also like how they established that the jungles were dangerous by showing a scorpion crawling over a shoe. <laughs> oh, okay. So I have to I have to go to an my next my next. Uh, um, okay, so. Bef- Two more badass Scott Adkins things that I wrote down that are close to this scene. Number one, when he finds all the ninja outfits, he's like polishing or honing the sword. And then a cobra comes up to him while he's polishing yes. it. <laughs> and he dramatically turns and chops its head off. It is That is really funny. And then the other thing <laughs> is right before he leaves to go fight Goro, the sensei says, they say if you go, to rev- if you go for revenge to dig two graves – and Scott Adkins replies, they'll need a lot more than two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, he fights Goro. They fight. He chops off his head, freeze frames. The movie freeze frames for a second on Scott Adkins after he yeah, chops after he chops uh, Shunsugata's head off, uh, Goro's head off. And uh, then we go, and then I think that, I thought that was the end of the movie. I was like, oh, sweet. Wait, 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 wait. Pause, pause. <laughs> How did the two of you feel about uh, Goro using Fiendish Dr. Wu's former lair? 
<laughs> I love how I, I thought how, that was a great occupation of a, a different evil guy's hideout. Everything well, I mean, in the further was probably cheap. They're like, hey, let's uh looks they like you used the same thing. Let's move in here. Apparently you lose they, your head in that place. It's bad luck. They did one huge practical effects explosion in this scene. Yeah, and then and then they just had oil barrels on fire everywhere. I noticed <laughs> the, the oil barrels on fire, like I could just picture like, okay, cut, and then they're just like, uh Spray those down a little bit, and then we'll relight them. Because it just, <laughs> yes, it was like a, it was like a giant warehouse where they're just like, okay, stack. Uh, let's do four stacks of barrels, light it up, and action. We are skipping over rather like four separate decent like fight scenes in this sequence. Oh yeah, they're um, yeah, well, they're just fight bang, scenes man. everywhere. He fights. Uh... Well, yeah, that's. We'll, 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 we'll Nathan get to it. Yeah, there's a full summit to this movie. So then, yeah, you, you think, think it's over. you think the movie's over, and then they, you're like, oh yeah, sweet. The end credits to play his, when they froze the off. frame. And then no, they go back to Thailand, and he's talking to Sensei. And that, if you're like, okay, they're just gonna debrief the situation or whatever. Oh, but you see, uh, Sensei, hit one of his workers has the knives that the knives of the people who attacked him in the very first scene in the movie. And oh my gosh. And another thing too is right before he chops Goro's head off, uh, Goro's like, uh, "Your wife married a white guy," which is like I think set off some red flags in his head. Like that's something you know before you go murder someone. So so like yeah. But also Casey hates racism. Casey Casey's like what? The, yeah. This guy didn't even know. He's playing the opposite of his Hitman Four character. Guy didn't even know who I ex- I existed. Like this is suspicious. And then he goes back to to Thailand and he sees the knife of the people who attacked the first scene. He's like, "Yo, you set me up. You're the reason I." And he's like. Like the guy like does that evil monologue like, oh, uh, I had to ma- turn you into an assassin. Goro was moving in on my drug business, and I I had to give you the proper motivation. You were always the best ninja out of all of us. Let's and- give the writing some props here though, because the guy who delivered the drugs in the previous sequence where he first showed up to the guy's uh, uh, dojo, the same guy came in with a box and dropped it off, but you know his shirt was a little looser it didn't lift when he set it down to cover them so like they planted that seed all the way back at like like 15 fight scenes and 35 minutes before i did consider going back and rewatching it kevin that's a good point okay wait and then it brings us to the third best line in the movie i was gonna say then they then they they it's gonna say this is another great scott adkins one-liner he goes (laughs) the guy goes uh we only have two choices now you can join forces with me or one of us must die and scott adkins replies there's only one choice. <laughs> and then they fight. Of course, Scott Adkins wins. And that's the end. And then, and then, he, that's the, and then he drops uh, the pendant. His... He drops the pendant into the uh, into the water of his wife's face in the water. And the, the releasing Wait, the grief. You forget where he exposes the drugs to the, per- to the oh. dojo uh, assistant so that he doesn't have to fight all of them. And they all thank him for killing their master. Yes, all the, which is like all the other white people show up because they're all like just these white dudes as students. They're like, yeah, yeah, all right, got it. That's like the, it's really the most awkward scene in the movie. Probably the only awkward scene. Yeah, and that's it. The movie's over. Uh, uh, Casey's back in Japan. I guess they could make Ninja 3 if they want, but it's been 10 years, so I doubt it. Uh, Uh, Better time than now? I, I think not. They uh, they will probably do something else. I mean, they 
I can't wait to find out that uh, his Isaac... kid actually somehow survived the situation and has been kidnapped and raised by a drug lord somewhere, and he has to infiltrate their compound and murder everyone and save his child. I mean, looking forward to it. You know that this director and Scott Adkins have made uh, a, a couple more movies since then, and neither of them, unfortunately, neither of them are ninja movies. We got Close Range. Boyka Undisputed and 22 Seized starring Scott Adkins and Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> so. uh, Seized was the worst of the seven Scott Adkins movies that I watched. I just want to put that out there. It was okay. It's um, It has Mario Van Peebles in it. That, that, that caps. Uh, I feel like Close that. Range was uh, uh, slightly better. Mario Van Peebles was not the worst part of that movie. Um, <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there to say what you will. About well, okay, it. so the thing and, about Close Range is, is I don't want to see Scott Adkins use a gun. Like, I want to see him. It was it was way, way too little punchy punchy. Yeah. Um, it should have been much more like way too way too shooty shooty. It needs to be way more punchy punchy. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the undisputed movies. Uh, there are four of them. Uh, Isaac Florentine has directed all of them, and three of them uh, have Scott Atkins in them. Hmm. The first one has no Scott Atkins in it whatsoever, but it has way more star power. <laughs> so they just like handed it off to him afterwards. Yeah, hand it off to Scott Adkins. He'll put up he'll put up some serviceable performances. These movies are all sweet. Uh all right. Let's go let's go around the horn now starting with Eric. Eric, what do you think uh now that we've kind of thrown every ninja or all the ninja 2 stuff out there. What what do you think of Ninja Shadow of a Tear? A thoroughly enjoyable movie. This is uh, what was it missing? Nothing. I mean, you can look at <laughs> you can look at any of the 90s martial arts movies that kind of got American thirteen-year-olds into bloodsport. Yeah, bloodsport, like kickboxer, Steven Seagal's early movies. Uh, this movie is right up there or better than them. I don't think it's better than bloodsport, but uh, and there's no dancing scene like in kickboxer. But everything else, like this, is <laughs> it, it's better than any Steven Seagal movie. It's just made now, so you're thinking like, oh, this is I've seen all this before. It's got a lot of great ninja tropes. Um, it was, oh, it is a patchwork quilt of lovingly crafted tropes. I would say, That's if anything, this is a love letter to ninja movies. And I would give this one eight throwing stars out of ten. <laughs> nice. That's a great rating system. I, I should adopt it for all all my rating systems now. Uh, I, I enjoyed this movie. This is the second time I'd seen it, but I didn't remember hardly any of it because that's how these movies work. They are like the <laughs> they are like the Skittles of movies where you just watch them and you you remember them sort of, but you, they all kind of blend together into one giant movie. That is why more. I chose to watch it last night, Nathan, as you see them more and more, you realize like, these are, these are all the same, the same movie, the last twist. They are. That's why it's a Scott. The last twist. Scott I will say the last twist was a little bit better than, uh, than I expected. Like I didn't expect that one last fight scene. And that, <laughs> that kind of bumped it up from the average, like two and a half, three stars that I would give a movie like this to the three and a half. Like, it's like, okay, you know what? Nice, nicely done. Um, well, I liked it pretty. It's, it's a, it's, it's a ninja out of ninja for me. <laughs> what, do you, what do you, what do you think, uh, Kevin? Final uh, thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right in there with you guys. I think it's a, uh, um, the fight scenes were all like exactly what I went in there for. The frequency of them was exactly what I wanted. Um, other people might have used guns, but he was busy kicking them in the face. He didn't need them. Uh, that was perfect. Uh, it is three and a half out of five steely eyed glares. Yeah, it's uh, all right, uh, very, very fun. 
I would recommend it to anyone. This is a classic Seahawks next movie club movie. This is this is probably what we, we should do every week for the rest of our lives is movies. Some people might need lots of different movies, but I this is really this is my this is my lane for sure. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> All right, well that's it for Eric, uh, for Kevin. We will uh, see you guys next week. Go Hawks.